Welcome to the Brattle Bookshop Podcast, affectionately known as the Brattlecast. Stories about books, old, rare, and out of print, the people who buy, sell, and collect them, and so much more. I'm here, Jordan Rich here, with Ken Gloss, the proprietor of the famous Brattle Bookstore in Boston. It's been uh, an institution for years. It's on West Street. You've got to check it out when you come to town. And Ken... You and I are both dads. I'm a grandpa. I don't think you've gotten No, there. not yet, but okay. we're, we're waiting. I'm a papa. You're on your way. <laughs> One of the joys of being a parent, and this is universal, is reading stories to your little ones. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was one of the joys when my children were go- growing up that – I would get to read to them, and I did it every night. Uh, and quite honestly, I don't know whether I liked it more than they liked it, but <laughs> it, it seemed to, to uh, go over very well. And I mean, I just loved uh, starting out with Goodnight Moon. And, I was thinking about and that one, in the, yeah. in the Then with the Maurice Sendak, with mm-hmm. the Wild Things in the Night Kitchen. Um, I love reading Dr. Seuss mm. uh, because I always wanted to see if I could get through it and actually read it without stumbling on a word. <laughs> but, you know, you sort of pick up the musical. And and obviously when young kids, I mean, I think that's one of the best things that you can possibly do to, first of all, get close to your child. Second of all, to enamor them with the storytelling, with your voice, with reading, with liking books. It might take, it might not take, but it's remembered on both sides. And I... I used to love doing it, and my young, my older daughter, uh, we not only read to her, uh, but of course, then they also remember you. Sometimes you're a little bit tired and you want to skip a page. Never, ever, ever works because they, <laughs> they, they. Wait a minute, you missed you a page, missed or a page. you, you. I mean, they. You know, you right. might read the same story over and over and over again, but they remember. And then as you go on. You get into more and more. And I, as my older daughter, she particularly uh, was happy with the books. We got to the point where I was reading all of the Narnia books. I read The Hobbit to her as she got a little bit older. I read Man in the Iron Mask, Whoa. which is a 500-page book. Uh, we read Call of the Wild. We read, you know, a lot of uh, big, thick uh, items. She has a great love of books, but I have to admit, when she got to be about 12 years old, which is old for doing that, uh, she said, Dad, stop. <laughs> no more. Right. Uh, the only one, and she's in her 30s now, the only one I still have to do, and she's in her 30s, is The Night Before Christmas. Ah. I, I have to read The Night okay. Before Christmas. I have to read that copy of it. Now, uh, and I've done it every year for for since she was a little kid. Uh, now, we had a problem a few years ago. A few years ago, her husband, she's married, her husband's from Texas, mm-hmm. and she was going to Texas for Christmas. And how do you read it to her on Christmas Eve? I, I read it to YouTube. <laughs> and, and then I told her, Go on to YouTube, and there I was reading to her for— The technology has enabled us, I mean, with FaceTime, YouTube, and all that. I was telling Ken that uh, I've got a little granddaughter. She just turned four, and I uh, record little trivia games about Disney princesses, but I'm starting to record short bedtime stories with music and effects because I have the studio, and she loves it. 
I can't be there. She's in Jersey, four and a half hours away. I can only be there occasionally, so it's my way of connecting. But that's what you're talking about. Oh, absolutely. It? Although yeah. now I might do it with FaceTime. Yeah, exactly. uh, well, one of those. But they they remember it. I remember it. now. My younger daughter, who now works and lives in Africa, I read to her in. She's a totally different person. Uh, my older daughter loves reading. She's very perceptive that way. She, But the younger daughter is more visual. Mm. She's more of visual. Mm -hmm. So I would read to her. She'd love the stories. She'd love the pictures. We had to uh, have you know much brighter and nicer pictures. And then there was a series of books called I Spy, where you'd have a photograph and you'd have little objects you'd have to find within the photograph. She loved that. And I enjoyed doing that and reading a little bit of the story that went behind it and then finding all the objects with her. It was different, we, we but owe, it was the time. We owe J.K. Rowling a lot in terms of the excitement over reading the Harry Potter series. And you're right. I mean, that it was an explosion. Kids were lining up at midnight with their parents to get the books. It seems as though – and I think that's great. It seems as though it'll never go out of style, thankfully. I don't. Th I don't think it will. First of all, it's hearing your voice. It's mm. hearing the cadence. It's it's not going to bed quite at that, and, and even talking you into staying up a little bit later and maybe reading this story again. But it it creates a tremendous relationship. But I will also say one of the th a couple of offshoots of that is when I'm, I've been in doing this all my life. And I want new young collectors. I want new people to come in the store. I want them to be interested in books. One of the reasons that there are a few books that are very, very high priced. A first edition of Good, Good Night Moon sells for thousands of dollars. Now, it has to be in perfect shape. And of course, one of the problems with Good Night Moon is everybody read it. Uh, and so when you read it, it it's it's harder to get. Uh, Where the Wild Things Are goes for thousands of dollars. I, I brought to the studio one of my favorite books reading, again, being from Boston, Make Way for Ducklings. But Mac, Clack, Clack, what, you know, mm -hmm. and going on. And I just love reading that in Officer Mike. And then we could also take the kids to the uh, frog pond and right. there's the island right. and here's where the Officer Mike was crossing and – at the same time that I was reading this once to my daughter when she was young, we got a first edition of Make Way for Ducklings in that had never, ever been touched. I have a feeling someone had bought it, put it on a shelf, and it got forgotten for 50 years or whatever. That absolute mint, perfect, fabulous copy, we ended up selling for $20,000. On the other hand... The tattered, worn, used copy. Now, my daughters didn't crayon in on them, although I've had some. Mm. In a way, you almost say to yourself, which is the more valuable copy? Right, right. Which, is, which is the one? Now, now, anyone who's listening to this, who reads to their kids, but thinks they might have a book that's going to be in the future, get two. <laughs> buy two great advice. <laughs> one away put it in the cabinet let someone find it 30 years from now but have the one that you really cherish one, one of the things that is so obvious and I'm looking at that book uh, Make Way for Ducklings which is a classic is that so many of these children's books for little kids who can't read yet are everlasting classics I mean they we're still reading uh, nursery rhymes from 
three or four or 500 years ago because they work, they make sense, and they have a connection that the kids can understand. And the other thing with the nursery rhymes, a lot of them, they're edited to such a point now that you they're more chill. A lot of nursery rhymes and a lot of fairy tales are not the nicest stories no. if you read them. But but the, quote, Disney versions yeah. or the uh, are wonderful. But, it again, it gets those stories, the Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. or And a lot of them have, if, if you actually get into it a little, a lot of more meaning to it. Right. Now, one of the things that I, I do want to say, this was even before I had children. So this is going back a while. There was a lady came into our store one day. And uh, she was a regular customer, an older woman, and she was getting some children's books. And I actually knew she, at least if she had children, they hadn't been around for a long time. And and I said, well, you know, curious. She said, well, you know, if you have a few extra, I'd like them. And I said, well, what do you what do you want them for? She said, well, I go to Boston City Hospital into the pediatrics ward, and I read to some of the books there. And there's a doctor there uh, named Doctor Needleman. And he actually is trying to encourage people to come in and read to some of the children. And they're even starting in the pediatric waiting room, starting to put books out. Mm. So because some of the children in the inner city, this is the only time they see a book. And we actually got in touch with that doctor. And, you know, we asked him what he was doing. And he said, well, I'm doing this and that. And he said, would you take books as a donation? Would, would you like them? Oh, that's nice. So – we got a bunch of the books together, and he would actually come down to the store every once in a while. And and he called my wife up when we first started doing this. He goes, I really, really want to apologize. He said, you gave us about two boxes of books, and there's only – they've been taking them. You know, they're, they're, they're taking them, and, they're, and there's only a few left. My wife goes, what do you mean apologize? That's fabulous. Yeah. That means what? They're getting partway through the book, and they like it so much, they want to take it home. They don't have it. She says, just let us know. <laughs> we'll give you more and more. And what that turned into, uh, now, the next phase of it was they said, is there any chance that you have books that are not all white? In other words, racially oh, right. variation. Okay. Yeah. Not all, you know, because a lot of the patients in these peri- periodic, you know, uh, Latino, black, African, uh, Asian. Asian yeah. what, and so we actually would, in between, we would save up a lot of the, the books for that. And again, same thing happening. But what he did is he started working with another doctor in the pediatrics. They started working with educators, and they started this program called Reach Out and Read, which is now a national organization that gets hundreds of thousands of books in uh, to pediatrics wards all over the country. Quite honestly, we don't donate anymore not because we wouldn't be willing. It's just they've gotten so big, they don't need us anymore. But, <laughs> we, can, but we can always remember the man who started this to get people reading used to come down in his car, we'd give it to him, and we encouraged him, get the kids to take the books. So not only did I read to my own children, but the importance of getting books out there, getting them handling them, getting to feel that this is a safe thing to do, a place. My father, this is another thing. When people ask me, how did he really get started in the book business? When he grew up in East Boston and he was 
five, six, seven years old, younger, and he was not one of the bigger kids on the block. He would go to the Boston Public Library, East Boston Branch, and they would have readings. He said they had a big woman there. Now, he was five years old, so you don't know how big the woman was. But she would read from the old N.C. Wyeth classics, the Treasure Island, that type of book, and she'd read others. And my father had a very good memory, and he would remember a lot of the stories. So he loved the way she Mm -hmm. did it. But then when he went out on the street, there were a lot of the kids were bigger. It was a rough area. And he would retell the stories and sometimes when kids would start bullying him, some of the bigger kids was he's the storyteller. Don't, don't push him. Don't, with don't, him. don't push him around. Don't mess with so Georgie. All of this, <laughs> you know, reading to people, getting them interested in books, getting them interested in reading, whether they become real devout fans or not, it always it's something they always remember. Reading for me to my children, when I when we see people coming in. Uh, you know, go into the children's section. We do everything we can to encourage them, whether they have the money, whether they don't, or whether they say, well, you can only get one or two, or maybe it's the kids' money that, you know, that's they're getting there, and we'll try to give them a few extras or whatever. The birthday of Dr. Seuss every year is celebrated in public schools across the country, and I've been lucky enough over the years to do that reading day where you come out and you know, people in the business community and the media come out and just sit in the classroom and read. I had the best time, man. It was so much fun. I did it for th- several years in a row with one particular school. But the kids love it. it That's it, the point. The kids love it. And and actually, I'll tell you some interesting stories how kids react to books. Another book that I tried to read to my daughter uh, at Christmas time was Christmas Carol. Mm. And the language in Christmas Carol, uh, you know, Scrooge would go from this chamber to that chamber to this room and someone, Tiny Tim would be in this chamber. And my daughter finally said to me, look, every time it says chamber, can you say room? <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but at least she was listening. She's paying and, attention. But I, you know, the, the, I think the point of this sort of broadcast and podcast is read to your kids. It not only do you I'm, – I'm remembering this from 30 years ago and more. It, it's just fun. It's enjoyable and everybody benefits. Absolutely. Storytelling <laughs> is the human experience. It's and, part and, of the and I'll experience. tell one story that I tried to do that we never got off the ground. Years and years and years ago, I was very good friends with a man who was one of the uh, officials of – as my wife who worked for this – organization, the local professional basketball team in Boston. Okay. I think we <laughs> my know wife, my, my wife did the yearbook for them, but okay, I was yeah. very friendly. And I said, is there any way that maybe sometime we could start a program at the Boston Public Library and some of the people come down, some of the players and so on? And he loved the idea. The problem is that they were just so busy and mm. when they're not in town, they're not in town. It's something that's – it's the kernel of the idea is still there, whether it's that or actors or whatever. I just think it would be a great program to get back to the library, to have kids go so they could go out and be the storytellers the way my father was. Here, here. If I can help support that in any way, I will. <laughs> well, this is great. You actually brought back memories. And as you mentioned it before I could even – Get it out of my mouth. Good night, Moon. That is the book, man. I know where the brush is. I know where the bowl of mush is. <laughs> Ken, thank you as always. Well, thank you. And it, it's fun bringing back those memories. Indeed. But if you have questions, if you have other uh, ideas, 
let us know. I, I love my ideas, but it's amazing when people come and tell me they've listened and then they come up with a suggestion. Sure. A lot of them are great. Well, it's brattlebookshop.com, everything there that you need. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, which is called The Brattlecast. You'll be very glad you did. We have regular episodes on all kinds of interesting topics. This is Jordan Rich for Ken Gloss. Have a great day. 